Welcome to Grain Talk, a podcast by Grain Farmers of Ontario. I'm Rachel Telford. And I'm Paige Miller. The Grain Talk podcast can be found on Apple iTunes, Google Play, and Spotify. Please rate, review, and subscribe on your favorite platform. This podcast is sponsored by Pioneer Canada. In this episode of Grain Talk, I will speak with Aaron Breimer of Veritas Farm Management about precision agriculture, managing variability in your fields, and taking advantage of technology you already have available in your farm equipment. And I will have a conversation with Brendan Burney, Chair of Grain Farmers of Ontario's Board of Directors. First, a Grain Talk news update. Grain Farmers of Ontario's Consumer Outreach Program, Good in Every Grain, has launched a new campaign. What's your food story? encourages people to explore their relationship with food and make positive connections with the farmers who grow it. Everyone is invited to share their own food story through uploading videos and interacting on their preferred social media platform, including Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, and TikTok. There are food story challenges and monthly contests for those who share their stories and a chance to win a kitchen makeover valued at $10,000 in our grand prize draw. You can learn more about the campaign at whatsyourfoodstory.ca. Enbridge's Line 5 and its potential shutdown received national mainstream media attention this week as provincial and federal governments issued statements of support for the pipeline. The Government of Canada filed an amicus curiae brief in the U.S. District Court for the Western District of Michigan. This brief supports the continued mediation between Enbridge and the state of Michigan underlines that Line 5 is a critical energy and economic link between Canada and the United States, and conveys Canada's belief that the U.S. federal court is the proper jurisdiction to hear the case between Michigan and Enbridge. Line 5 delivers 53% of Ontario's crude oil supply. Grain Farmers of Ontario is encouraging our farmer members to understand the need to protect market access when selling grain. All corn hybrids sold in Ontario are approved for cultivation and for use as food and feed within Canada and the U.S. Most corn hybrids sold in Ontario have also received import authorization in many importing countries. Some delays and uncertainty of the EU regulatory process can pose a challenge for Ontario corn, as both individual traits and stacked products may require regulatory approval. Because of these delays, trait stacks for certain hybrids sold in Ontario are not currently approved in the EU. We are encouraging farmer members to follow product guidelines where necessary. Please reach out to your seed dealers if you are unaware or unsure of any requirements in place. If you are planning on planting or have planted a non-EU approved variety, please contact your grain buyer to determine if they will be receiving those varieties in the fall. We want to make sure that our farmer members continue to have unfettered access to key export markets. The Canadian Seed Trade Association has a full list of corn hybrids commercially available in Canada within their corn hybrid database at seedinnovation.ca. Looking for good conversation and great agronomic advice? Check out the new Pioneer Made to Grow podcast. Each episode, host Andrew Campbell chats with leading agriculture experts about the latest ag innovations, best practices, tips, tricks, and more. In the latest episode, Andrew and his expert guests discuss some of the most challenging management decisions that corn and soybean growers have to make each year, touching on marketing, profitability, granular business technology, and other timely topics. Jam-packed with actionable information, the Pioneer Made to Grow podcast is a must-listen for Canadian farmers who are always striving to improve their yields. Find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, pioneer.com slash made to grow, 
or anywhere you listen to your favorite podcasts. And now, here is my conversation with Aaron Breimer. Joining me today on the Grain Talk podcast is Aaron Breimer from Veritas. Aaron, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. Looking forward to having a chat. Well, I definitely think it's, you know, the time of year to have a conversation uh, with you and kind of about what, what it is that you do. So why don't you go ahead and tell me a little bit about yourself? All right. Well, uh, I grew up on a farm uh, in Middlesex County. Mom and dad still uh, farm cash crops uh, there, corn, soybeans, wheat, uh, some some years, some edible beans, uh, just outside of the town of uh, Elsa Craig, for any listeners that are familiar with that uh, area. I went to the University of Guelph, uh, graduating, ooh, can't believe it, but it's been 20 years ago now. So I graduated from the uh, uh, University of Guelph in 2001. Um, for the past 20 years, I've uh, had a variety of different roles in the agriculture industry. I started off in uh, ag retail, selling uh, fertilizer, seed, uh, crop protection products, buying grain. Um, and then for the last 10 years of my career, I've been involved uh, in different aspects of the, the precision ag and uh, consulting agronomy uh, part of the uh, industry. Variety of roles, agronomists, uh, sales agronomy, precision ag agronomy, and uh, for about the last four years, uh, more on the management side. Interesting. And I guess the final thing that I'll, I'll throw a little uh, a note in. Um, in 2016, I completed uh, the um, Advanced Ag Leadership uh, Program, and I throw that out because I know they have uh, um, nominations uh, or for the Class 19 are now open, so listeners might be interested in that one. That's true. That I know that did actually just open up. I read something a little bit about that in my uh, inbox this week, too, so great call out there. I know GFO has been a big uh, supporter of it. Um, uh, one of my classmates was uh, a GFO employee, and I know there's been several GFO uh, um, employees that have gone through the program. Yeah, we've had a few directors and a few employ employees that have gone through the program and raved great things about it. So I think it's definitely something to uh, to get involved in if you can. For sure. Um, so I want to talk a little bit about Veritas Farm Management. So what is it that you guys do there? So Veritas Farm Management, it came into existence, uh, let's see, all the way back in, uh, I believe it was 2010. I joined uh, Veritas in 2011. And it uh, it was started off uh, from uh, what I would call a traditional ag retailer in southwestern Ontario, based out of Chatham. Um, and they were looking at uh, a way to um, being able to offer consulting uh, services to farmers, but not have it... Uh, that the farmers felt that they had to buy crop inputs in order to, to get those uh, services and that advice. Um, so that's how it got started. And then uh, over the last 11 years, it's evolved more and more into um, precision ag uh, consulting. Um, let's see, it was uh, September 2018. Uh, Veritas was actually acquired by Devron, uh, which is a was at the time a custom drone uh, flying company. Um, Devron has evolved into doing much more around soil sampling, data acquisition, um, and Veritas has evolved into what we call the data insights group. So we get to uh, work with stuff uh, 
my experience is uh, fairly heavily in Ontario, but as we've grown, I now get to hang out in uh, in Texas, um, in the Texas Panhandle, some irrigation and nitrogen management stuff. Um, working in Oklahoma on some nitrogen management using satellite imagery uh, and uh, on wheat. Let's see. Uh, yeah, our sales uh, group is out of Kansas City, so a whole bunch of stuff uh, around soil testing, drone flying, satellite imagery. My part of the, the um, equation is very heavy on looking at the data, helping farmers take advantage uh, of the data that they're collecting and being able to, to ideally generate the additional revenue from that, uh, that information that they're collecting. Wow. So it seems like there's a lot going on there. There is. Uh, we, we've grown uh, significantly. Devron's actually a publicly traded company, so I've gotten to experience that part of the, uh, the world, too. So I, I never thought, I, I remember kind of a cool story, of, uh, I think it was about a year and a half ago, um, I was actually writing a prescription about two streets down uh, from uh, Bay Street on the 17th floor of uh, a high-rise office building. And, and <laughs> I never thought that would ever happen, but uh, it, it, it's incredible what technology allows us to do now. Exactly, for sure. For someone with little precision ag knowledge, can you explain a little bit about what it is and how it actually helps farmers? So I split this into three main areas. The first work, the first uh, part is around uh, what I refer to as workload management. This is the one that most farmers uh, relate to when you talk about precision ag. And the easiest way, example that I can give is guidance or auto steering of the tractors. So using the satellite image or using the satellite connection, um, basically auto steering, uh, the farmer has to be in the seat for uh, um, safety uh, reasons. But that is the one that most farmers are familiar with, is being able to, to utilize their equipment that way. The second uh, piece that I talk about uh, fairly heavily, this is the, the world that I live in. I'm sure I'll help on the auto steering, but the part that I live in is I truly believe that every field has some level of variability. Um, now, the question that we always run into is, is there enough variability to make it worthwhile to manage? And if you're starting to manage that variability, you're starting to down the path of precision ag. And I talk about variability within a field, but even if you have variability between two different fields, so let's say a farmer has a clay farm and a sand farm, and they farm them differently, that's precision ag. Within a field, it might be, hey, I've got that sand knoll, um, I know it needs a little bit more lime, so I'm going to go and spread some uh, additional lime. Even, maybe even without soil testing, not my preferred way to do it, but that is precision egg. And then the final one that uh, we'll talk about is uh, uh, resource and return on investment management. So um, it's become very uh, common to hear people talk about the four R's. And uh, that's what uh, Precision Ag can help uh, with is putting that right product in the right place, right time, um, in order to get the best response. Interesting. So that that's a lot more in-depth than I actually thought Precision Ag was myself because if i'm honest i thought it was auto steer making sure that you know things were clean but to actually kind of dive into it a little bit more and and think about you know the variables and and that sort of stuff it, it kind of brings it actually more to life and more easy to understand i have a pretty cool job most days what type of technology goes into precision egg 
so once again, I kind of split this into a couple different categories. So the first is that automation, the application, what you were talking about with the auto steer and the guidance and stuff like that. Um, the next, uh, or within that automation and application is uh, planters and seeders that can apply um, the seed at different rates as it's going up and down the field automatically. We talk about uh, running a prescription, so we'll create a prescription for the equipment to run. Similar to planters, you have uh, fertilizer application equipment that can do it. Um, you've got sprayers, and actually the newest thing is manure application, so even drag hose lines, manure uh, tankers, um, dry manure spreaders all have the ability now um, to uh, do variable rate. So we talk about variable rate application on everything. And then the, the newest one around that automation and application, uh, you're starting to see uh, autonomous equipment. So tractors that don't even need an um, operator in the, in the seat. In fact, there is no seat for the operator. And in a lot of cases, it doesn't even look like a tractor anymore. Um, the next big part, is what we talk about with data layer acquisition. So this is soil sampling, and there's a bunch of different ways. You can do the very traditional way of going out and pulling cores, and you you geo what we call geo-reference, and then you use software to interpret what's going on in between it. There's uh, soil sensing uh, technology um, that might have a blade that goes into the soil or that uses a, what we call a passive sensor that picks up uh, um, radiation coming out of the soil. Um, all kinds of stuff like that. Uh, drones is the one everybody gets excited. Anytime I'm doing a presentation, especially if I'm doing a presentation to high school students, you got to bring the drone. Why? Because everybody loves drones. Exactly. Right? So, so everybody gets excited about drones. So, of course, that's in there. Um, one of the things that's becoming more and more popular is satellite imagery. Um, there's, uh, for the most part, we can uh, access um, imagery anywhere in uh, around the globe. Um, at a fairly decent resolution every two to three days, um, depending on cloud and cover. Um, around data is the monitors in the tractors and the combines, all kinds of stuff like that. Um, also around data layers is this, uh, we call it data transfer technology. So a lot of equipment um, will now send the data to, well, the cloud. Um, it will send that data automatically. So you're not having to run around with thumb drives and uh, downloading data. And then the final area of precision ag is what we call the data interpretation. So this can be your platforms, your apps, things like that. Um, those things are all built off uh, a class of software called GIS. GIS is Global Information Systems. And even underlaying that, is uh, some fairly heavy duty stats uh, software. So for the most part, farmers, they're gonna be familiar with software platforms and apps. Um, people like me, okay, yeah, we got a few other things that we get to play with. So something else I was reading about in my research about Precision Egg was infrared. And I know this is fairly new uh, and the article I found was just saying that it's mostly used in California, but. Is that something that, you know, you can kind of see coming through the light saying like, oh, we could start using infrared to kind of check on fields or, or is that, you know, way out there? It's actually not as far out as you think. Um, and it's actually been around for a lot of years, too. So infrared is a, a big part of um, a number called NDVI. 
Um, so NDVI is, uh, someone's probably going to correct me if I get this wrong, but it's the net differentiated vegeta vegetative index. And it basically looks at the difference of the amount of light that the crop is absorbing. So the thinking, be the theory behind it is if the crop is absorbing more red light, so it measures the difference between the amount of red light and infrared, and if that's a big difference, then that would suggest that uh, the crop is very healthy. If it's not a big difference, it would suggest that the plant is not absorbing as much light, it's not as healthy. So that's, that's kind of the thinking. And um, I think the first commercial sensor that used NDVI, a lot of people are familiar with this uh, technology called Green Seeker. Um, I want to say that uh, started in Oklahoma in 1984. So it's been around for a, lot, a long time. And the research goes back even further. It's a really cool story about uh, um, this whole concept of NDVI and, and how it was developed in the 1970s as part of the Cold War for um, the thinking was the U.S. wanted to be able to see if Russia was having a, um, production problems in their in their crops. That, that's actually uh, some of the, the background behind it. So it's kind of cool how it's continuing to evolve and uh, um, now they're getting into even tighter, um, uh, what they call wavelengths of uh, uh, infrared. So you'll hear people talk about red edge. And now you're uh, starting to get into uh, even uh, being able to look at the temperature of the crop too. So a crop that a crop is very good at regulating its own temperature if it's healthy. So if it's not healthy, it might be extremely hot and we can pick that up with sensors now. Interesting. That's really that's really cool. What do farmers need to know about precision egg when getting ready for planting season? Because I know it is planting season. Uh, the farmers in my family don't quite have everything ready to go, but are, are just about through the door. So what what should farmers kind of know? So my when I'm working with the, the group that I get to work with at the office and the, the clients that we work with, the number one thing we'll tell people is if you fail to plan, that is a plan to fail, right? So the majority of farmers that I've worked with, um, the idea of sitting in front of a computer or sitting in front of a monitor and programming the thing um, well in advance is not fun. That's just not what people enjoy working with. Um, so if you truly want to be able to take advantage of precision egg, you do need to start thinking about, okay, what steps am I going to take or what resources am I going to call on to make sure this is ready to, to go? Because like you said, we're, we're in spring, right? Like um, I'm not sure uh, across the province, but we've got a pretty good chunk of corn in already. Soybeans are starting to roll. Um, weather forecast says things are going to be pretty good. So guys are right now, they're just using their monitors to, to drive straight. Hopefully they're recording some information. The number one thing I would tell people for 2021 is as soon as you're finished planting, take that data to someone in your trusted circle. Maybe it's your ag retailer. Maybe it's a, um, your seed dealer. Um, maybe it's your equipment dealer and ask them, what can I do with this data that's going to help me understand what my uh, ground is telling me in 2021. In 2022, all right, sure, then you can start to make uh, other other game plans. But you need to start 
understanding what that data can do besides those monitors just driving straight. I guess I should also uh, throw out the, the shameless plug that there are people like myself that are uh, um, data consultants that can, can work with uh, folks uh, to, to work through that data as well. But there is a lot of resources out there. People need to, uh, to reach out. You don't have to try to do this yourself. This is truly one of those cases where there's no such thing as a dumb question. Those monitors, they're designed by software engineers. Yeah, to a software engineer, those things are easy to use. I feel quite often, I feel when I'm looking at those uh, um, monitors, how maybe my parents felt when we've got the first VCR or DVD and trying to program that stuff. So it, it, it it's tough. The final, final thing that farmers can do right now in 2021 is as they're going up and down the field with auto steer on so they have a little bit more time to look around they can look at the planter look at what's going on look at the variability in your field do you see any variability maybe it's the change in the color of the soil maybe it's the elevation in a couple of weeks when you're out there spraying the field look to see how uniform that corn is or that how uniform the soybeans are. Yeah, are they all the same height? Is a difference in colors? Start looking at that. Start asking questions. Um, I'm not sure if uh, Paige, if you've ever had um, it, had a conversation with a five year old or a four year old, and, and they ask why, 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 why. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. Okay, I never outgrew that stage. Uh, so I constantly am asking why, and and farmers should be uh, comfortable asking that too. To say why is why is my corn looking a little yellow there? Why is it looking a little purple there? Why is it shorter there? Why didn't it emerge as good uh, in in that field? Start asking those questions, and you you, you you're going to find uh, lots of opportunities if you're open to it. Interesting. So, are there certain things that uh, those that are getting ready to plant should be doing in, to ensure accuracy? Or like, you know, cleaning or making sure that certain things are well maintained. Like, is there that kind of aspect that needs to happen before or just needs to happen in terms of precision egg? You know what? That's a great question. The number one thing that farmers can do is start with a clean monitor at the beginning of the year. Um, download it, save it onto a um, computer, um, save it onto a thumb drive, whatever the case is. But if you can clean that monitor uh, and start fresh every year, you're going to make your life so much easier or whoever you're going to choose to bring into uh, your operation to be able to to work with and to be able to take advantage of that data. Um I've got some great stories working with, with some guys and they know who they are when they, if they happen to be listening to this, where they, they give me like five memory sticks and uh, um, yeah, I pull it into my software and they have the same field named 10 different ways. And it can be as simple as how you use capital letters. All of a sudden that's changing it. So starting with a clean uh, uh, monitor every year is a big thing. Um, the next one is come up with a structure, we call it a grower farm field structure that is going to be consistent across all the monitors. When you have multiple operators and you're punching in, everyone punches it in a little bit different, that can be a challenge unless you're working with a consultant that can clean the data uh, for you and then hand it back in a nice clean format. I'll tell you, even consultants, we prefer to start with clean data. So if you can do that, that's a big thing. An interesting uh, stat uh, that I ran into is at a conference, 
Um, uh, do you happen to, you want to take a guess at this? What do you think is the number one field name in North America? Greenfield underscore one. Close. Or field one, field two. Field one. That is it. Number one. That's the number <laughs> one thing. Why? Because you have to put in your grower, your grower name. So you, in my case, will be Brimer or Brimer Farms. No problem. And then it asks for a farm. Well, I'll put in a home farm. Okay. And now it wants a field. And I'm like, well, the entire home farm is the same field. So I'll type in one. This works great until you try to query what we call query the data. And now um, if I have my home farm, it has field one. And the Smith farm, for example, is field one. All I see when I, if I'm not querying the data correctly is a whole bunch of ones. Um, so being able to, to clean that up goes a long way. The other thing, it's a nice, it's a nice thing if, if you want to be nice to operators is, and I do this for my dad. My dad does uh, um, uh, variable rate planting is I'll pre-populate the, the monitor with his corn varieties. So he doesn't have to type it in every time. He just has to pick which variety he's planting. He likes that stuff, right? So just little things to make you make your life easier. That's, you're definitely a good son for doing that. Uh, for your dad, makes things easier, I'm sure. It also saves it, it also saves me from getting phone calls. <laughs> exactly, exactly. It's self preservation <laughs> for sure. And for and for and for any listeners who know my father, please don't tell him that joke. <laughs> so, how can farmers use precision egg to improve profitability at the same time? Hey, that's an interesting question. Um, so, the easiest one, and this is one that we didn't really think of at the beginning, is that automation. So that auto steer. That allows for more acres to be planted in a shorter window of time, and it allows farmers to do a better job because they're not having to pay attention going up and down the, the field. They're able to look back and check the planter and keep a, a close eye on things and just look around and, and, and take observations that much better than having to stare where that marker is up and down. And guys, if farmers are getting more acres done in a shorter period of time. So it does add to, to the profitability in a big way. Um, the, the next one is going back to that, the 4R, right? Uh, uh, applying the right amount in the right location, um, using the right uh, sources and definitely the, hitting the right time. Here's the thing with that is you need to be able to measure and analyze that data. And that's not always easy. Some platforms out there are making it easier, but you have to understand when you're analyzing that data, there's this concept in the in, uh, statistical sciences called implied biases, right? And the, the best example that I can give is if you've got two varieties and uh, um, one variety is used a little bit more in the headlands than the other variety, you might see something that you're that isn't actually truly there or there might be some cropping history let's say if you had two 50 acre fields that you've joined together and one of them had a history uh, a much more recent history of pasture management and the other one didn't and if that happens to um, impact your um, where you're putting different varieties or different fertilizer treatments uh, you might not get uh, true results that you can utilize um, 
the other big thing around this, uh, these four R's is I truly, truly, truly believe every farm and every field is unique. Um, and then the final piece around how to be more profitable, uh, there's an area within Precision Ag called profitability mapping. Basically what you do is you take your yield map, you assign what the, the revenue is to, that's being generated, and you see where in the field you're making more money or losing more money. Um, yes, in some cases we are losing money. And then you start looking at, okay, how can you variable through variable rate application manage those areas? Some areas you can't manage to, um, to, to make them profitable. So then, then now you start having to have uh, um, some, some more challenging conversations. But that profitability mapping, that does go a long ways. Even if you don't want to do profitability mapping um, within a field, just look at the profitability mapping between different fields. Is your sand farm making you more money? Is your clay farm making you more money? Start start at that level. Hmm. Interesting. So do you think precision egg is something that all farmers could kind of take on? Potentially, yes. There's uh, um, all kinds of technology that uh, is available to farmers. Um, realistically, no, it's not going to be the right fit for every farmer. Um, within our uh, office, uh, uh, we segment uh, the, the market, and there's certain mar uh, segments uh, that we tend to do more work with than others. We're happy to take anyone's phone call, but uh, um, some farmers are able to, are more interested in taking advantage of the technology that they have um, in order to extract value, and, and others aren't. There's farmers out there that absolutely love the latest, greatest, newest, most amazing piece of technology, and every year they're going to want to try uh, something new. Um, they're a lot of fun to work with, but realistically, every year I'm having to learn two or three new things. So we maybe don't support them as much as, as uh, some other farmers. So it, it really comes down to, to to what the farmer wants for their operation. If they don't want, if they don't want to utilize precision egg. There's nothing saying that they have to. Fair enough. So do you see more farms becoming aligned with the, te with the technology of Precision Egg, or are you seeing kind of a steady intake? You know, it's that's a great question. I'll give you an example. Two, I graduated in 2001, and in 2002, just outside of Chatham, I seen my very first tractor that was equipped with auto steer and it was going to be used to plant carrots i was like and i think at the time it might have cost about eighteen thousand dollars to put the SID technology on this uh, tractor i remember looking at it going okay i can see this for carrots this makes sense and for vegetables in general but and i still remember to this day thinking that that technology will never take off and now it's something like 80 percent of new tractors have auto steer and that's what we're seeing is the equipment manufacturers are making this technology the standard going out the door. Um, so in a lot of cases, it costs you more to have the non-precision egg version. So, yes, we're definitely seeing a lot more alignment with the technology coming out. But excluding the guidance there's not a lot of uh, additional uptake. There is some guys that are tracking varieties and looking at their data uh, that way, but that they're still in the in the minority. Um, probably 
realistically probably less than 15, 20%. And the number of farmers that are actually taking full advantage of their technology is well below 10%. So if your listeners are sitting there going, oh, yeah, I've missed the boat on this. No, no, you haven't. You're, you're probably actually in the majority if you're not taking advantage of it. Um, now, this opportunity there, that's up to you, if you if, up to them if they, if they do want to take advantage of it. Interesting. Well, I definitely think it's, there's a, there's more to it than I think a lot of people understand and kind of know. And I think just from listening to what you said over the past couple of uh, minutes here, I think there's more that people could probably get involved with to better understand what, what, what they're doing and how, how they're doing it kind of affects their overall yield in the end. For, for sure. I, I, I truly believe that uh, Precision Ag has the potential to increase the productivity of farms. And I have yet to meet a farmer that is not interested in increasing their profitable productivity on their farm. Farmer, f- farmers just love to farm, right? It, it's, it's in their blood, right? I love nothing more than when we get busy uh, in the fields to go out and ride in tractors with my, uh, with, with the guys that I'm working with. It's, it's just fun. That's the best part. Well, okay. The absolute best part of farming is riding in combines. Let's face it. That, that, that's, <laughs> that, that's the all time uh, favorite. I just love that even more, but, but, but variable rate planting, that's pretty cool too. <laughs> so what is something you wish uh, people knew about precision agriculture? Can I only pick one or are you going to let me have two? You can have two. I'll give you two. All right. Perfect. So the first one is when Precision Egg first came out, it was promoted as a way to fix problems within within a field. And in some cases it did. So, for example, uh, the, the first success, first big success around uh, uh, true Precision Egg, true uh, variable rate was around lime and being able to go and spread lime in that low pH area of the field. So, so there, there was the, the, those early wins around that. And then, so everybody got thinking going, oh, if we can fix that problem, maybe we can fix all these other problems. That's not actually what we're starting to see now. What we're starting to see is that the real opportunity is not to fix those problems, but to take better advantage of the hidden potential within that variability. So for example, for about the last 50 years, farmers have been doing a static rate of fertilizer across their entire field, right? So, and it's usually based off of either soil test uh, recommendation that they've uh, taken, or um, quite often, well, that field yielded 200 bushels of uh, of corn per acre. So I know that's, uh, as an agronomist, that's 80 pounds of, uh, of phosphorus, P205. So that's 160 pounds a map. I'm going to go and spread 116 pounds a map. That's how we've been doing it for the last 50 years, excluding manure, which was wherever it happened to be closest to the barn. So excluding manure, it was flat right across the field. I worked in ag retail for the last, or for the first 10 years of my career. And I will tell you, anytime a farmer had a little bit of fertilizer left over, where would they go and spread it? Well, they would go and spread it on their their challenging areas. Well, maybe that just needs a little bit more fertility. But if you think about it, that 200 bushel uh, corn crop, there were parts of that field, the best parts of the field that were probably yielding 250. So it, it was taking out 100 pounds of phosphorus 
Meanwhile, that 150-part uh, um, bushel uh, part of the field was only pulling 60 pounds of phosphorus. So you're putting more phosphorus already on that poor, uh, poor yielding area, and you're taking more out of your best yielding area. When we pull soil tests, quite often we will find the highest fertility levels are in the lowest yielding potential areas of the field, and the lowest soil testing areas are in the highest yielding potential. So people are like, oh yeah, I, I got 225, 230 bushels of corn um, uh, in, that, in that good part of my field or 250 bushels. And you're like, yeah, maybe we could have got 300. And, and, and you can just see the excitement. So, so that, that's probably the one big one. And you said I could have a second one. Here's the second one. Ever since I've been in the industry, Everyone that uh, likes to get on podcasts or at Precision Ag Conference talks about how much this, all this data is uh, worth and how valuable it is. And so this is what farmers hear. Farmers are constantly hearing people say that their data is valuable. Their data is worth something. So it's easy to get into the mindset going, well, someone should pay me for my data. And you know what? If they are utilizing that data to make something or say, create some uh, uh, something that they're going to uh, sell to others, then yeah, you, they should, probably should compensate you for it. However, I truly believe the greatest value of that data is for that farm. How does that data, can it be used and how can it be used in order to increase the profitability and the sustainability or maybe both? both the profitability and sustainability of that farm. That's where the true value of that data is. It is the data is valuable to the farmer that is producing it. That's what, that's me getting off my soapbox. <laughs> that's interesting. I never would have thought of it like that, but I guess if you're, you know, you're doing all the data and you're looking at it year to year and you're reading it and your profits kind of increase, I guess in a way you kind of are getting paid for, your your data right the potential exists it, yeah right so um if you're able to increase the, the yield by utilizing that data that's money in your pocket exactly exactly well aaron thank you so much for your time today and kind of taking me through precision egg uh, a little bit more in depth i definitely appreciate it and i hope our listeners learn something from our, our talk today likewise thank you very much Brendan Burney is the chair of Green Farmers of Ontario's Board of Directors, and he joins us today to give us an update on what's been happening recently with our organization. Thanks so much for joining us this morning, Brendan. No problem at all. Now, we want to start with a little bit of some government relations update. Uh, in terms of Line 5, we talked a bit about that the last time you were with us on the podcast, uh, that important pipeline that does bring uh, fuel to us here in Ontario from the U.S. There's been some attention in the media and in government lately. What's been happening with Line 5? Yeah, it's uh, certainly an important issue. And for those people that don't know, I'm down in the Essex area. So I'm right across from the Detroit, like the Windsor Detroit border. Mm -hmm. And we're getting coverage from the Detroit side as well as our Canadian side. Um, the Over in the U.S., they're looking at trying to close the pipeline down uh, as early as I think next week they were talking. Uh, the chief negotiator that I've heard for Canada said that he didn't feel that that was going to happen. He thought that uh, they'd still be working through this, but it's kind of coming to a head and it's always been this May deadline of closure, but uh, it's a pipeline that 
that would very much affect Ontario if it does get closed because there's no way to to bring in the the supply in another manner right now. Uh, so hopefully, uh, I know the Canadian government's released a statement yesterday, and the, the U.S. side is working through it as well. And hopefully, they can come to some sort of a solution that uh, whether it gives time to I, uh, insulate the pipeline to make sure that there there won't be any environmental concerns or how they go about that, but just to keeping that open is key. Now, when we talk about um, keeping things working, Green Farmers Ontario's Board of Directors itself is continuing to work despite the uh, COVID-19 pandemic. I understand you had a board meeting last week over Zoom. How has that been working for you, um, communicating amongst the board um, virtually? You know what, it's it's tough in general. Uh, I think we've, we've grown accustomed to some of these Zoom meetings, but they certainly don't uh, replace what you could accomplish face-to-face. But ordinarily uh we don't have a board meeting in may because we're active in the fields and it's hard to coordinate getting everybody to one location but because the of the way that we now use the technology mm-hmm. we were able to do a, a morning uh board meeting segment uh, touch off on a few pieces that we had uh that we wanted to update board members on just kind of activities that i was involved with or crosby or paul and and then have some input on a few different topics. We did kind of a half a day. And I think that it, it creates a good touch point between the, the two board meetings that we ordinarily wouldn't have. But uh, I think we all certainly long for the days when we can get back face to face. And yeah, you seem to be able to get more done, but we've been pretty good pivoting into this digital world and trying to stay connected, but it is certainly hard. And what were some, I guess, the, the big topics that you've been talking about? I think there was just a few things on some of the meetings that we had had, um, trying to make sure that we were touched off in case there were any COVID-related uh, issues in, in different regions, trying to uh, get input on some of the the activities, I guess, that we've got going on currently with government uh, updates on, whether it was Line 5 or some pieces like that. So at any given time, there's a multitude of different topics that, that come to to the board. And in this way, we were able to cover off some of them versus delaying them till June. Mm-hmm. So some positives, um, despite the fact that you're having to work virtually. Yeah, I think that like any organization, we're, we're doing the best we can with it and trying to, to stay as connected as possible. And that's really all we can do at this point. Forming Connections is what our new uh, campaign, What's Your Food Story, is about through our Good in Every Green Consumer Outreach Program, um, where we're inviting people to share with us their food stories and and that connection that they have with food, and then also make that connection between consumers and farmers. Uh, From the board perspective, how important is this new What's Your Food Story campaign? Well, I think in general, we always talk about uh, how important it is to, to connect with uh, consumers or connect with people that are not necessarily on the farm uh, seeing what we do and I think this is a really good way to do it it uh, shows some of the the products I guess that we grow here uh, in within the grain farmers of Ontario logo and how people are enjoying them what their food story is how they maybe got to the point where they were cooking with some of the the different grains we have or or how they've they've I guess, uh, continued to enjoy some of the pieces that we produce. So I think in general, you're trying to make that connection between the farm and whether it's cities or farms and some of the the bigger towns where people don't necessarily have a connection to the field. And at the same time, acknowledge the fact that uh, 
with us on the farm. We certainly appreciate anybody who is is eating uh, healthy grains uh, that we grow here in Ontario. So then I have to ask, what's your food story? My food story, uh, I guess, coming off the farm, it uh, it varies, but uh, we we tend to have the fresh garden all summertime. We tend to uh, to enjoy some of the like I guess lately with the COVID experience. Uh, I know my kids and my wife and I we've done more baking and stuff at the house, so there's been more uh, wheat flour and whatnot being used. So I think at any given time we're uh, we're using I guess produce or grains and whatnot from Ontario in our meal plans. That sounds wonderful. Now, on the subject of farming, uh, how are things going down there in Essex County? Uh, It's been very slow as of right now. Uh, We've had very cool weather. Uh, We've had actually frost warnings the last three nights, I guess, here. And we did have a little bit of rain last weekend again. We haven't had real heavy rain showers, but we've had just enough to keep the ground kind of wet and, and cool and damp weather has uh, stopped it from drying out. So um, there hasn't been an awful lot planted in our region right now. Heading towards this weekend, it looks like we're starting to warm up with some nicer weather. And I'd probably expect to see uh, see some guys going shortly, uh, putting in some corn still, and then uh, getting the bean crop in. The wheat crop looks pretty good right now. I'm sure it could use some heat and a little bit of water, but uh, in general, we can't complain with that. Have you heard any tidbits about what's been happening in other parts of the province? Uh, Bits and pieces. I've seen some areas where it looks like a lot of their corn is planted. Like we had some really nice weather in uh, in April. It just kind of shifted this way that we weren't able to to get anything in, where in other areas they, they maybe missed some of the rain. And I've seen some guys, they've got all their corn in or or half to three quarters of the acreage that they planned in in corn and some beans going in. So uh, I've, I've been encouraged by some of the posts seeing that other areas are getting to work and getting some crops planted. It is tough when you're at a standstill and seeing other guys uh, out there working in the fields. But at the same time, uh, you look across the province and it's a big province. So there's a lot of different weather patterns that go through. So I'm just thankful that people are able to get some crop in right now. Well, that sounds great. Sounds like uh, you're gearing up to be extra busy. So I'm glad that we had the opportunity to connect with you today. Uh, Thanks very much for your time. No problem. Anytime. Thank you for listening to our Grain Talk podcast. I hope you enjoyed the conversation. For more ways to connect with us, including the latest webinar, market report, and our e-newsletter, go to gfo.ca slash grain talk. A special thank you to our guests this week. Aaron Brimer, and Brendan Burney. If you've liked what you've heard today, please rate, review, and subscribe on Apple iTunes, Google Play, and Spotify. And remember, five-star reviews help us grow our audience.